0: at loveisrael.org that's one word loveisrael.org now here's baruch with today's lesson
1: our god is a great god and therefore we need to acknowledge this both in word and deed and basically this is what the psalm that we're going to study in this lesson is all about living a life that gives praise to god acknowledging that he is indeed the great God over all creation. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 66. Now this Psalm begins, look at verse one. He speaks to the chief musician or the choir director, a song, and then it says a Psalm. So these two terms that we have run into before within this book of Psalms, are both being used. And then he says at the end of verse 1, shout, and this is a shout of joy, it's a shout of acknowledgement towards God that his presence is in this world, that God is actively doing things in this world. So shout to God, all the earth. And one of the things we see here is that God is not exclusive, meaning this, that God wants all creation, every human being, to know him. And God created the world in order, in order that we can see that God is indeed a God of order. That means he has purpose. Things are not random. And when we look at those who deny God, they oftentimes speak about randomness. And their solution to this randomness is simply time. If you give enough time, anything can happen. This is not the case. Just because time is given in millions or billions of years doesn't mean something will take place. When we look at creation, we do not find a randomness that time can solve. But we find order a mind and purpose that put things into action and god will bring things to a kingdom conclusion now what's exclusive is this only those who enter into a covenantal relationship with him are going to be part of this exclusive kingdom but everyone is invited many are called but few are chosen and how do they find themselves being chosen by god very simple by responding to that gospel message move on to verse two once again he says and it's a song or a word of a song or singing so we could most often than not it's translated as praising but it simply means sing, and we're called to sing and the idea is praise him for the glory of his name and that it place glory to his praise, meaning this, as we praise God, we need to acknowledge that God is glorious. Now, the Hebrew word glorious, or the word honor, is a word of significance. That same word for glory, kavod, is, is also the root of the word kaved, which means heavy. And here, heaviness has to do with significance. It is something that is so significant that it dominates. It is something that, that takes precedent over all. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. In my life, do I make decisions acknowledging the significance of God that He is greater than me? That His purposes are, are glorious and that it's a privilege to play a role to participate in the things of God. So let me ask you another question. How are you participating in the will of God? What is your life doing that is in agreement with the purposes of God? You're never going to find intimacy with God. You're never going to find joy. Your praise is not going to be a praise that is pleasing to God unless you are experiencing God's activity in your life. And the only way to do that is to live a praiseworthy life, submitting to the instructions of God. So look again, he says, verse verse 2, saying, and it means saying of the glory of his name, place glory to his praise. So we should always praise him and see that it is significant to praise God. There is a, a significance And when we give God praise, verse three, say to God, how awesome is your works. Now, this is an important statement because it shows something. It reveals to us that God is constantly at work. Praise him, not just for what he's done in the past, although that is indeed glorious and worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. But God is an active God. God is constantly at work. One of the things we see from the scripture is that God is not a God who created everything and walked away from it. Just simply put it in action and then let go. God is sustaining. God is moving constantly. He is maintaining his creation. And as creation changes with time, we find that God is moving to bring it to the fulfillment that he deems right, a fulfillment that is going to manifest his glory. And we need to see this in two ways. And the reason why I want to emphasize this is because this is true for everyone's life. God is going to manifest glory through you. That is for certain. But there's two ways. And neither of these ways in any way attack the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, but he can give free choice to individuals. That free choice in no way hinders or is an obstacle concerning his sovereignty. God is greater than all things. So each person, they are going to be an instrument of God's glory. This is what Paul teaches, for example, in Romans. So if I submit to God, obey god god is going to be glorified by that obedience that faithfulness that that submissiveness and so my obedience is going to be praiseworthy but if someone rebels against god they're still going to be an instrument of his glory but his glory is going to be manifested in his judgment upon that person so everyone's life is going to reflect god's glory The question is, is it going to be revealing glory because of obedience or glory because the judgment of God was manifested upon that rebellious one? So he says, again verse 3, speak to God how awesome are your works and in the abundance of your power. What's he going to do? God is awesome His work it is is overwhelming. This word Norah can mean overwhelming. What God does is beyond us. Our ability to to stop what he's up to to hinder it no he's sovereign, greater than us. what what God is going to do will take effect. God is going to to make make his will known in the end. So how awesome are your works. And in the abundance of your power, this is God's power, he's going to do something. He is going to make your enemies, oh God, you are going to reduce before you. So the enemies of God, they are going to be brought to nothing. He is going to reduce them. So it just is a, a proof and evidence of what we said. The enemies of God, they're going to be instruments of glory as well. When what? When God reduces them ultimately to nothing. When they are a recipient of God's eternal judgment. Now, verse 4. All the earth, they will. This is a word of bowing down in reverence. It is, in modern Hebrew, a word of worship. So, look again, verse 4. All the earth ultimately this is what's going to happen all the earth they will will bow down to you and they will sing and this is to sing praise unto you they are going to be convicted by his power by the outcome of his will becoming the reality they're going to give him praise now do we see that in the new covenant as well yes we do where philippians where it says every knee will bow every tongue confess to the glory of god that yeshua he is lord everyone is going to acknowledge that to the glory of god they are going to praise him but at that time for those who do not have a covenantal relationship with God, they are not going to reap any of the benefits. They are going to be eternally lost, and they are going to be experiencing God's condemnation, His vengeance, forever and ever and ever. But they are going to be compelled simply because it's true that He is a glorious God. Verse verse 5. Now, Verse 4 ended with that word Selah, which most see as a word of emphasis. Now, verse 5. Come and see. And here we're talking about Mifal in modern Hebrew word. A modern Hebrew, that word Mifal is a plant, a place of production. And here we could understand it, it's in the plural. So it's simply the activities of God. It's what I said earlier. God is always at work god is always moving so verse 5 come and see the activities of god and again that word nora awesome is is his deed everything he does is over bane adam over humanity so the the action of god is always greater it's beyond human beings to comprehend, and to even uh, do in the same way. Now you say, wait a second, what about John's gospel? Messiah comes, the Son of God, and it says, greater works will you do. That's true. But how do we do those works that are greater? We do them because he leaves us not as orphans, but he gives us his spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit and the purposes of God that we are able to do great things. But it's not us in our flesh. It's not us in our own ability. We become, and this is such good news, we become vessels of Almighty God. We become instruments of the very spirit of our Savior, Lord Yeshua, in order to carry out great things. And this is what uh, uh, John's Gospel reveals, and there's no conflict with what we're dealing with now. Human beings left to themselves. Everything that God does is beyond them, over them. Verse 6. Now, here we're going to see some of the historical wonders that God did. For example, verse 6. He turns the sea into dry land. And in a river, and it's literally the river, most scholars understand this, the Jordan River, they will pass on foot. So we know that when the children of Israel cross the Jordan River, it was a supernatural event. You can read about it in the book of Joshua. So we see two things being mentioned. We see the exodus from Egypt when he says, you have turned the sea into dry land. That is that that passing through the sea. And then we have, this is coming out of Egypt, meaning redemption, and then the victory of of taking possession of that land with the crossing of the Jordan River. And there he says, place there, he says, let us rejoice in him. So there in this victory, in this fulfillment of the promises of God, as being a recipient of God's activity, his work, what are we called to do? We are called to rejoice in him. Verse 7. Now, there's a very significant word that begins, verse 7, it's the word "moshel." Moshel is a ruler. It is a a word that's derived from government. It's a word that's derived from an example. And what it says here is that God gives, and he is the example of a government, a righteous government. So, he rules, verse 7 he rules and anytime we see that in the the present tense or what many would call the participical form in hebrew whenever that appears in that form is for the purpose of emphasis we should always take notice so he rules and notice what it says in his might forever now this word forever is a kingdom word it's an adjective that describes the kingdom reality so god is going to rule in his might forever and it's speaking about his kingdom authority and then his eyes are among the nations and it says his eyes among the nations look and this is word to look out to take notice of and he's going to do that among the nations and here this term nation means those who have no covenantal relationship with him and when we lack a covenantal relationship with god we are going to walk in disobedience we are going to walk in rebelliousness and we have this word look again at verse 7 the middle of the verse now this word speaks about individuals that cannot be taught they will not succumb to to discipline, they are are constantly rebellious, and they will not be brought to change. And he says concerning them, do not they will not exalt themselves? Selah. So they are not going to be ones that exalt themselves. Their meaning that means they're not going to be successful. They are not going to achieve their goals. They are not going to live a life that gives satisfaction to them. They are not going to, and here's the problem, they want to exalt self rather than God. And that is that satanic spirit that is going to bring about destruction and defeat. Verse 8. Bless, and this implies bless God, praise Him. It says bless Old peoples are God. Now, why is it says our God and not just God? Because you cannot worship God. You cannot bless Him. You cannot give Him praise if you're not in a covenantal relationship with Him. So that's why it says our God. You're only able to bless God, and this is such an important word blessing. You can only bless God, praise Him, worship Him in that covenant relationship. And notice it says Amin, not referring to just the nation of Israel, but God's call to worship Him, to praise Him, to serve Him, to acknowledge Him, goes beyond the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, the 12 tribes of Israel were to use to proclaim these things that we're learning now, that we would be a light to all nations in regard to the identity of God and the purposes of God and how to respond to him, so we read. Look again, verse eight. Bless O peoples, our God, and cause to be heard. Here again, O peoples, very inclusive. Cause to be heard, the voice of his praise. That word, voice, cold, can also be the sound of his praise. Here's what we need to realize: it is proper and an actuality. It is a requirement that that God's name be lifted up continuously. So as you live your life, you should live with a a sense of of looking. Looking for godly activity. What God is doing in order to, to bless his creation, to bless his people, to move in your life, to order things according to his purposes for your life. And when you become an individual that says, my desire is to give glory to God, to to render to him thanksgiving, to acknowledge his work. When you do that, I assure you of something. When you make it your objective to see God's activity in your life, you will see. God will move. Let me give an example. We have a friend, and this friend was, was born in the northeast part of the United States. And a friend of hers uh, lost a very close relative, her sister. And and this woman said, I felt that it was, was God's will for me to go and visit this person who isn't married, doesn't have any children, very much alone. And her sister was so close to her. They were very close to one another. And I'm going there. And she says, I make that decision. Because she felt led in the spirit to do that. To go and love, to comfort, to be a blessing to this person. And what does God do? God works out this trip for her to meet many of her family that she has not seen in a long time. And God is just taking that, that time when this woman is at work and couldn't be with her friend. What's happening? She is filling that with, with relationships with her family, meetings with them. And she says, I see God's hand in this. And what does she do? She praises God. She doesn't say, oh, wow, this is just a coincidence. This is, is so interesting how, how things just work out by chance that this is random. She didn't see it as random. She saw God moving in, in her life for a multiple purposes and god will do that same thing to you so look again verse verse 8 where he says bless O people our god and cause to be heard the sound of his praise verse 9. set our souls in life now here again i i would highlight those those three words in the hebrew text translated into english it's more than that but Hasan set nafsheinu, our souls, bechayim in life. And what it's saying is this. If God does not set us in life, and life is what? In His will. There's an inherent relationship between the will of God and experiencing life. Meaning this. You will never experience life unless you're living in the will of God. How do we get in the will of God? God puts us there. What causes him to put us there? When we want to serve him. When we are walking by faith, when God, as this woman experienced, when we are sensitive to God's leadership in our life, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, when we say, God, you show me what you want, and I'll do it. That brings godly activity into our life. And so when we do this, God positions us for life look again second part of verse 9 where he says and do not allow our feet to to collapse meaning this to fall now in the world when we follow our own objectives our own purposes what's going to happen we are going to stumble and fall but when we are in god's will when we are listening for his instruction when we want to carry out his commandments, God is going to give us strength and we're going to be on a sure foundation. That foundation is the truth of Messiah. And therefore, we're not going to stumble and fall. He is going to support us. Verse 10. For you have tested us, O God. Now, here, what it speaks about is God growing us. God will allow things in our life that we'll think we're going through a time of testing. Now, what is that? Well, God doesn't test us in order to to try to trick us, to get us to fall, anything like that. But God, just like a wise teacher, we experience examinations. And we learn from those examinations. We learn how to pray. We learn the, the things that we lack in our life that those characteristics that knowledge that wisdom so god tests us to grow us in order to mature us so verse verse 10 for you have tested us O god and what's the purpose notice the second part of verse 10 for you have refined us so this testing is for us to be refined as refining of silver what does that mean when you refine silver you Remove the impurities. So God's test is not in any purpose other than to grow us, mature us, and to have removed from us those things that are impure, displeasing to Him; those things that will hinder us and will bring about sorrow, frustration. Uh, we could say those things that bring about defeat in our life; those, those, those momentary defeats. So God is always working to grow and strengthen us in our faith. Verse 11. You have brought us into, and this is the, the word, most scholars see it as a fishing net. You have placed, you have placed, and this word is a word for maybe distress, uh, in our loins. And here it's talking about this. When we walk in the will of God, we are going to encounter the enemy. The enemy is going to want to take possession of us, to take us, and also in order to bring distress, sorrow, they're going to want to crush us. That's okay, because we are called to be what? Overcomers. So when we walk with God in obedience. There is going to be the attacks of the enemy. They're going to get their their stronghold uh, around us in order to try to destroy us. But what's going to happen? God is going to, when we submit to him, he is going to cause us to be an overcomer. Look at verse verse 12. He says this. The first word is is riding but it's in the hifl which means to cause to rise we have the word enosh which is a human being or mankind so most scholars put it in the the uh, plural you have caused men to to ride above our heads now what is this it says here that god is a supernatural god he Allows he causes others to ride over us. Now that's okay. Why? Because that is a temporary condition. Let me give you the the most theological response to that. The cross. Those felt who were, were plotting the cross, part of it, they thought that with his death on the cross, they had defeated him. And the enemy is going to think they have defeated us. We are, are down, we are defeated, but we're not. We're going to overcome in the same way that Messiah rose from the dead. So we look here, you have caused men to ride over our heads. And and we have come into fire and water. But what happens? It says, but you have brought us out. And here's what I like. Le, Le, rivella. And this is a word which means uh, abundance. Now, it's a word usually referring to to something being soaked. And water is seen as a blessing. So God here, he brings us into a situation where the enemy seems to be defeating us. That they're over us. God allows that. But even though we appear to be walking in fire and, and water, what happens? God brings us through and he brings us in this river this saturation can be seen as being in abundance. God is going to when we overcome the things of this world we are going to be to be having that abundant life. And what's the outcome of this? Well, look at verse 13. We need to see the the relationship between verse 12 and verse 13 we're appeared to be overcome by the enemy we're in the midst of fire and water but god brings us through and through this coming through being brought out what happens there's an abundance and that abundance that we receive for overcoming what's what's that a source of look at verse 13 he says i will come to your house with what burn offerings meaning sacrifices a praise i will pay unto you my vows what it does is that this victory this overcoming puts us in a new position spiritually of worshiping god of praising god it gives us pain vows now again if you look at hasidic judaism the term neder vow shows a commitment it shows a desire to fulfill the obligations that we have to God and God allows us to be tested he allows that enemy to to attack and but he gives us victory he brings us through this and through that we learn of God's faithfulness we learn of God's provision we learn of his power and what's the outcome we have a whole nother, nother reason and experience to praise God. So that verse says, verse 13, I will enter into your house with, with abundant uh, burnt offerings, and I will pay to you my, my vows. Verse 14, Which my lips, they will be open. My mouth will speak in the times of of trouble it's that word sar for times of distress might be it's a word for narrow those times of affliction distress pressure anxiety now what's he saying he's saying this when you go through a difficult time god brings you through you submit you follow you remain faithful you do not doubt you continue to praise god worship god and do his purposes in the end, God brings you through through that. you you praise him at a whole nother level. You grow in your ability to to honor God, to give thanks to God. And what happens? The next time, and this is what he's saying, the next time that you are in a similar situation, you're not going to panic. You're not going to be distraught. You're not going to be someone that that lets this anxiety, this pressure get the best of you. What are you going to do? You're going to open up your mouth in the midst of this as a testimony of praising God. Why? You know something. The enemy is not going to be victorious. This is all going to be used by God for the purpose of you worshiping him in a greater way that you have another experience to give thanks to God. So, verse 14, My lips, they are opened up, and my mouth will speak. And the implication is, speak praises in the midst of these distressing, troublesome times that are to me. Verse 15, The burnt offerings of these fattened animals I will offer up to you. Now, the fattened animals are the best animals. And usually, this is what the idea here is this. You remember the parable the prodigal son. That son comes back, the father's overjoyed, and he says, you know, kill the fattened calf. Now, he was saving that for a special occasion. A special time of rejoicing. And what this verse is saying is this. When we experience God's faithfulness in our life, we will want to take that fattened calf that we were saving for, for some good time and we will want to not enjoy it ourselves. But we will recognize God in those difficult times as our defender, as our provider, as our, our, our victory, and we will want to offer them up to him. So he says, the burnt offering of fattened animals I will offer up to you with the incense of rams. I will offer up cattle with goats. Selah, that word of of emphasis, verse 16. He says, as we come to the last portion of this psalm, he says, come and hear or listen. Come and hear and I will tell all the ones who fear God. So he says, you come, those who fear God, And I'm going to tell you, and the implication is, why God is so praiseworthy, why God is so good, why God is so great, why he is so powerful. In this psalm, the author is telling the reader, you're going to have, when you walk in obedience, when you understand the greatness of God, when you do not panic because of the enemy, but you see this as an opportunity for God to grow you and mature you, and that you know, God's going to see me through this. What's going to happen? you are going to be look at the verse you are going to be one who is offering up praise and incense offerings knowing that god is great he says come verse 16 come and hear and i will tell tell all the ones who fear god what he has done for my soul now why soul It's a spiritual blessing. It changes the identity and characteristic of us. We are a new creation and God is going to continuously bring newness. What does it say? His mercies are new each day. Well, God works to grow us and make us into that new man each day. That's what verse 16 is talking about. Look now to verse 17. My mouth... We might say, with my mouth, although the word with is not in the Hebrew text, but it's implied. My mouth I will call out unto him. And exaltation, lifting up God, is going to be, we would say, under. I know most Bibles say, upon my my tongue, but it's under my tongue. Now, under the tongue has a purpose. Oftentimes, people would put something that was very sweet, Something that was, was something special, they would put under their tongue and allow that that thing to, to melt, to begin to, to fade away. And in that fading, it would fill one's whole mouth. It was a way of savoring that. It was a way of, of slowing down this process, rather than just eating it, you keep it under your tongue because you want to enjoy it for a longer period of time. So that's when he says, again, this exaltation of, of praise and glory to God. It's under my tongue. I want to continue to do it. I want to enjoy it. I don't want praising God for this victory, for his faithfulness in my life to, to depart quickly. Verse 18. Unrighteousness. Now this is the word, aven. Aven is wickedness. It says, if I have seen with my heart, he says, if this wickedness I have seen with my heart, meaning, if I acknowledge it. What then? Keep reading. Not be heard, my Lord. What he's saying is this. If I should see something, think about that. I am not going to acknowledge it. I am not going to want to to act upon it. I am not going to let it be, be thought of, be spoken to be heard, my Lord. I am not going to allow wicked things to change me, to impact how I live. Live in faithfulness. And this wickedness in the world, do not let it be a source of influence to you. He says, indeed, here's what is the influence of his life. Indeed, he says, God has heard and he will listen. Literally, he has listened. He has been attentive to the voice of my prayer. So, these things that are wicked, I'm not going to deal with. I'm going to simply understand that God has indeed heard and he has been attentive to the sound, the voice of my prayer. Verse 20. Blessed, the same word, Baruch, like that word. Blessed is God. He will not remove my prayer and His grace from me. Now, notice, He will not remove, Hasir Tifliati, my prayer, vechasto His grace from me. So, God is a God when we approach Him prayerfully, and, and knowing his faithfulness, knowing his greatness. God, when we pray to him with that mindset, he's going to hear, he's going to respond. So don't let wickedness turn you to have a different thought. Don't let wickedness be what is, is going to be an influence upon you. But, but God knows all things. And when we say no to wickedness, and we say, indeed, God, you have heard, you know all things, and we submit to him, we're going to find that we are going to bless God. And our praise, he's not going to to remove, cast away, reject. And it says, his grace, that chesed, it is going to be the foundation of who we are In this covenantal relationship, we'll say it this way as as believers in Messiah, grace is what brings us into that new covenant relationship, cause us to be in Messiah. And when we're in Messiah, we are going to find godly activity going around in us, Going around around us in order that we always have something to acknowledge, to be grateful for, to give thanks to God. And we are going to see God's activity, God's fervent work in our life and in our situations. And because of that, we are always bound to give thanks to God. So Psalm 66, a foundational psalm in in us understanding